Today we're going to talk a little bit about heavyweight worship. What does it really mean to worship? And, and this is not meant to be an exhaustive uh, sermon upon uh, describing every act of worship or praise or any of those types of things. But I think in the end, you'll, you'll understand what I think, what God is trying to teach us this morning. And we're talking about worship that packs a punch. There's another fight reference. There you go for you. But worship that has weight to it. You know, when, uh, when I was a kid, if some of you might know this, growing up in church, there was a form of worship that kind of always a little bit confused me. Um, sometimes pastors would throw it into the middle of a sermon um, I don't know if it's like a pep thing for them, but they would throw out a clap offering. Anybody? You remember the clap offering? It was this thing where the pastor or the worship leader would say, hey, let's just give God a clap offering. And I thought, hmm. I, I'm sure it's biblical. The Bible talks about clapping your hands to God. It, I'm not, I don't, anyway, I just thought it was kind of peculiar. And uh, I always thought, you know, I'm not sure I can use that properly. I'm always... A, a little afraid to do it myself, to say, hey, let's just give the Lord a clap offering. I'm afraid if I misuse it, I would get to heaven someday. And the Lord said, well, we would let you in, but you really abuse that clap offering thing too much. <laughs> and I've been in, we're pastors, man, every five minutes was, let's get the, give the Lord a clap offering. I'm thinking, the Lord, I think, got claps enough here, so I think he's good. But, well, as we talk about worship, I think Caleb's song really nails the thoughts of even my heart today, that we were made to worship God. These aren't really my thoughts as much as they are the thoughts of our Creator. For we were indeed, indeed created to worship God. This is what Scripture tells us. Revelations chapter 4, verses 11, verse 11. I like how the King James Version says it. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. I really like the thous and the thys. I feel like I should say that with an accent of some sort. but I will forego that this morning for your sake. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. And everything was created by you. And it's for your pleasure. It's in this sense, in this word, that we get the sense that God created man different from every other creation, created us uniquely. It was for his pleasure. There is a connection with the choice that humans, this will that we have to choose to offer God our worship. (coughs) Romans 11 says, For him and through him and to him, him being Jesus, are all things to whom be the glory forever. Jesus was there at creation, creating all things, and in him and through him, all things exist. And so the created being, created by the creator, was created to worship the creator. Did you get that? I don't think I could repeat it if I wanted to. But creation was created to worship its creator. That is the chief end of man, is to worship God. The truth is, we all worship something. Think about your life, the way you spend your time, your money, your energy. All of it speaks of worship. This thought of submitting ourselves to something or someone else. We all do it. Something demands stuff of our schedule, of our finances. It, it all 
is pointing to the desire of our own heart, where we are going. Now, there's the humanistic point of worship. It's self-worship. I am the center of all things. Every decision I make is about me. There's a prideful thought in that. There's the worship of others or other things. And oftentimes I think this is motivated more by fear. Fear of, well, if I don't have that, what would my life be like? So I worship it. I give it my time, my energy. I worship my work. I worship my play. I worship my hobbies. I worship all these things because not only do I like it, but I fear what life would be like without them. The worship of possessions, materialism. I chase after the things of life, and they become my God. Or you can worship the one true God who truly set eternity in the hearts of man. In, in, our, in the core of our being, we, we long to worship something, and misguided will worship anything, but truly we were meant to worship God alone, the one true God. So what is worship? Well, the English word, worship, is actually a combination of two words, worship. Kind of sounds like I'm... I have, a, I have a, a list, but I'm not. It's worth-ship. Ascribing praise and honor to something that is worthy. This is the act of worship, is ascribing worth-ship. The Hebrews had a few words. Hewa was to bow down in a specifically religious act. You would find this in Scripture in the Psalms. Where it, said, it would say something like, worship the Lord in splendor, or, or bow down to the Lord in splendor. Or come, let us bow down and worship. There's this thought of a physical position. Or yera, the awe or terror of a being, a supernatural being, a divine power. This is in Scripture where we... Hear the phrase, fear the Lord your God. There's this awe and reverence or terror of a divine being. There's another word, abad, to serve God both in public and religious life. This, the concepts of serving God and worshiping God in, in this context, they sort of overlap. You can't really pull those two, those two apart. And I want to come back to that in a little bit. The, the Greek had similar words. You would find these words in the New Testament. Proskuneo, to fall down or to literally kiss the feet of an idol. Again, a physical position is intimated here. The other two, latrueo and sebo, this is all the Greek I learned in college, by the way, right here, being put to use. These two words can be found used together oftentimes. It's service to God or, or to idols. But in Romans chapter 1, where it uses both these words, the question is about exchanging the worship of God, the Creator, for worship of created things. In fact, Romans goes on to say that God saw that man had given up worshiping Him and had exchanged that kind of worship for worshiping of idols, created Things instead of worshiping the Creator. And so the scripture says he turned man over to that. You know, God will not force you to worship him. Not true at the end of time, every knee will bow and every tongue 
will confess. That's what the Bible says. So it's sort of your choice. Either bow, bow now and, and humble yourself now, or when that day comes, you won't even have a choice. It will be awe and terror all at once, and you will bow. But in this sense, God gives us over to our desires. He says, your will be done. You want to worship a created being? Even in your folly, I'm going to let you have your way. God will not force himself upon the human race. We worship the creations around us, maybe the creations of our own hands, versus worshiping the creator. Now, in worship, we, we often think about the songs that we sing. If, if you've been around church long enough, when people say phrases that include the word worship, it sort of assumes music and song, and, and rightfully so. The Psalms, in fact, speak a lot about worship and praise as being song, and there would be no argument that that indeed is a form of worship. And there's something powerful about music. Every culture has music. And ascribes to it some great meanings, even in our culture. Music is powerful. It's the one thing in all of creation that connect heart, soul, mind, and body in, in ways that nothing else can except for video games. Worship is a powerful experience, especially through song. I mean, look at the Old Testament. You see, you see in, in the books of history... First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles. You see a number of times where the children of Israel are faced with enemies and battles and and uh, insurmountable odds. And oftentimes, the Lord would say something like, "Go and fight. Don't worry. I got it taken care of. Your job is just to go and fight." But there's one instance where they were surrounded, and the king goes to his knees in prayer and says, "Lord." We don't have a chance. We are completely surrounded. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And the Lord's command to them is gather the singers and send them out first because the battle's already done, taken care of. I got this, God says. Send the singers out. Have you seen our worship band? I mean, they're, they're not warriors. I'd follow Caleb a long distance off. I love you, Caleb. He says, send the worshipers first. Send the worship band first. And in this story, when, by the time they arrived to where the enemy is, God had wiped them all out. He literally had taken care of all of the enemy. They didn't need to raise their sword. We don't see this as a pattern of worship, but I think there are, I, I could definitely preach on that for a while. There's some good points to that story. Or what about Paul and Silas? In the New Testament, when they're, they're chained and they're in prison and they're worshiping. Now, the assumption is that they're singing, but perhaps they're quoting scriptures to each other. Or perhaps they're recounting stories of God's faithfulness to one another. Maybe Paul's sharing with Silas again how he saw Jesus Christ himself on this desert road to, to Damascus. But perhaps they were singing. Perhaps they were lifting their voices, and in all of this, their chains fell off, the prison door opens up, and that's what I call singing off the chains. If I may say so, their singing was off the chain. 
And some of you who don't know that, that's slang for like being cool, which apparently I'm not. (laughs) Paul and Silas sang their way or worshipped their way out of a bad circumstance. And it probably wasn't the first or the last time that they would not only face that kind of circumstance, but that's not the last time that they would react with that kind of attitude, that kind of heart of worship. To a lot of Christians, worship is music. Music is worship. You roll in on Sundays, and if you're like me, you evaluate the experience whether the music was good, the song choice was to my liking, and the preacher was okay. That's what you get from me is okay. But in that Sunday morning experience, you've actually experienced many forms of worship. You get to experience worship through giving, through greeting each other in love. There's worship in the message that's delivered. There's worship in the media that is displayed How is that possible? Well, because you're actually observing the worship of others, too. That person on the Ask Me team who opens the door for you and greets you is is actually worshiping. The person who helped you check your kids in, in in the kids' area, they're worshiping through service. Our dedicated staff in the nursery and in all of the kids' areas are worshiping. Even though they're not lifting their voices in unison with us, they're in fact worshiping. And their worship is no less acceptable simply because they're not singing a song. Worship comes from the heart. This is acceptable worship. Making really great coffee on a Sunday morning is totally worship. Thank you, Life Cafe workers. But there is unacceptable worship. In fact, we find this at the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel both come to the Lord with offerings of worship. There is a thought of sacrifice in worship. This is biblical. And Cain and Abel both bring offerings. We pick up the story in chapter 4. Starting in verse 2, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Boy, isn't that a picture? You can choose to worship in a correct manner, or you can choose sin. And there sort of are these two thoughts the juxtaposition of those two thoughts upon each other. Here is Cain offering his goods, his fruit from his labor. Both of them labored to offer this, right? The fruit that Cain offered was of his own labor. He planted the seed, he watered it, he took care of it, he harvested it. Abel as well fed, fed those sheep, fed the mama sheep to get the baby sheep. And this is what he offers. It says he offers some of his firstborn. 
there's a thought here that Abel is offering to God a, a truly a sacrifice. Because if he's offering the firstborn or firstborns of his flock, he is giving not of what he currently has, but of his future. He's demonstrating faith through his gift, through his worship, because those sheep represent the future flock that he would grow and want to have. His attitude was to give the Lord something of worth. And here we find Cain offering a sacrifice as well, but not on par with Abel. The Lord did not look favorably upon it, perhaps because the context of that phrase that Cain, what Cain brought was more of a leftover, as if he were going through the field picking up what was left and said, I'm going to give this to God. It'll be good enough. Is that what we give God? The leftovers of our week? The leftovers of our day when we may or may not think about Him or pray or worship Him? The leftovers of our paycheck? Well, Lord, I, didn't ha- I ran out of money this month. Sorry. The Lord doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your praise. He doesn't need anything from you. He's self-existent. He doesn't get his power from anybody. That's God. He doesn't need that. He's sovereign. He exists outside of everything else. So he doesn't need or want any of that. It's simply an act of worship on our part. And that's what God finds acceptable is the attitude which it was given. Now, had Cain perhaps, I don't know, maybe if he had given the seeds as a demonstration of faith, his future harvests. The sacrifice represented an offering of something that represented the best of the best of what I had to give God through my toil and my labor. All of that was the act of worship, not just the moment I say, here, God. It was all an act of worship. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Man, there's so much packed into just those two scriptures But this is the idea of a living sacrifice, that all of my life is worship to God. All of it can please Him. Not just those moments on a Sunday morning. And Paul, the apostle, the writer of this scripture says, don't conform to the patterns of our world that says, put you in the center. Make every decision. And if you want to put Jesus in there, that's cool too. That's the pattern of our world. But it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the thought of Scripture, it says, then you will know. How do I know what God's will is? Well, it's in Scripture. You'll know what God wants you to do through Scripture. And then, if you read through the rest of chapter 12 in Romans, it begins to tell you that the service, the hobbies, the gifts that you have are, in fact, items of worship or acts of worship to God. So when and how do we worship? I simply had this thought. Worship outside the box. Worship outside the box. Does that mean we've got to come up with some sort of crazy idea of, of ways to worship? 
like, you know, people say, hey, think outside the box. I'm not even really sure what that means sometimes. But I do know when we say worship outside the box, one of my thoughts is this box. You know, this is like a box, very large box. Worship outside the box. So instead of seeing worship as an event that I arrive to on a Sunday morning, worship actually extends beyond the box of a church gathering place. I think the form of our worship is less important than the faculties of our worship. Our faculties being our inherent mental and physical capacity or powers and the aptitude or talent for doing things, all of those things are worship. And I worship God with all the faculties that I have. This is where Scripture says, Worship the Lord your God with your heart, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when Jesus has a conversation with a woman, Samaritan woman at the well, he says, it's not about the location that you worship. It's not about going to Jerusalem, in her case. He said, the day will come when those who want to worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth, the spirit of truth. It was not a location. It's from the core of your being. If we were created to worship God, we long, we desire to do that. That's our chief end, and we can do it in everything that we do. And songs are a powerful part of that because with my mouth, I declare and I must declare to my heart and my mind the truth about who God is. This is important. The gathering of the saints on a Sunday morning is important. When we lift our voices in unison together, this is an act of worship. The fellowship of, is not just of our body sitting conjoined in seats, but our hearts united as one, singing and declaring the praises of God and the truth about Him. Because every time you sing a song and you declare the truth of Scripture, what you're doing is you're telling your mind what to believe and what your heart to believe. And if there's one voice that your mind will believe over any other voice, do you know whose voice that is? It's not your mother's. It's your own voice. So when you're declaring to God you are faithful, that your love knows no, no bounds, no ends, God is receiving that and receiving it with a smile on his face, and you're also convincing yourself of what the truth is. You are speaking truth to your own inner being and you begin to live and believe the very things that you say you believe. I need to remind myself and the desires of my heart to be subject to the captain of my life, the commander of all in my life, Jesus Christ. I've got to remind myself and we would all do well to remind us who sits on the throne of our hearts our rebellious heart, and that's King Jesus. Because I think in some respects, we, not just in a Sunday worship setting, but in Christianity in general, we struggle against a divided heart. We, this is our life. I don't know if you can see this, but this is oil and water. They do not mix. They separate. And while I might have a great worship experience, oh, Jesus is part of my life. 
Monday through Saturday, this is my life, and I get to say and do whatever I please. And it may not even be bad things. And sometimes when I sing really loudly or sing really on key, which must, God must approve more of when I sing on key, I have a great worship experience, I have a great worship event, a great worship moment. Then truly, maybe through Monday and Tuesday, it, it becomes part of who I am. And I'll tell you, I constantly fight against this in my life because do you see what's happening? It separates again. This is the challenge. This is the battle. This is the fight of all Christians. Is not to make Jesus part of our life, but to make him our life. And I think worshiping him with every aspect of our life, not just singing, not just on a Sunday morning, But when we truly live life as worship in everything that we do, every aspect of our life, then everything I do is worship. And I would have a very hard time to take the Gatorade out of this bottle without the water. I might be able to scoop out most of that oil and still have water left. It would be very difficult to separate out the two, the Gatorade and the water now. The only way to get the Gatorade out would probably be to let it dry up. And then I might have a powder. Hopefully that will never happen in your life or my life but that we're so mixed up that the world confuses us with Jesus Christ. They see Jesus in us in all that we do, that our life's work is not secular and sacred. It's not Sunday and Monday. It's not Jesus has part and then I get the rest, but it's all messed up, confused, and chaotic, and everything I do speaks of the king of my life. And people have a hard time then determining where Jesus stops and I begin or where I stop and Jesus begins because it's all mixed up. And that's the challenge. That's the fight. The Hebrew word, avoda, is another word for worship. But in this context, it's a word used for service, and work, and worship, all as one. It's almost in this, it's used in the context of the priestly lineage of the priests, of their work. All that they did was worship. Aren't we called the priests of God ourselves now in the new covenant through Christ? Our work is worship. Your work is can and should be worship. Monday through Friday is just as important as Sunday. My actions, the expression of my inner faith must declare the God I worship. And so work is 
worship. We don't work to get to God. We don't need to. Jesus did the work for us. But now our work, our deeds, the things that we do with our hands, we do it to the glory of God and to the worship of his name. That's why we were created. I want to close with this scripture, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read a portion of this. I want you to listen. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Paul is writing to the church here in Colossians chapter 3, and the title just above it in my Bible says, Rules for Holy Living. Holy. That's a church word. Holy in this context means without mixture. Pure. Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is in you and in your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. This is the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and its practices. And you've put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator, Jesus. And here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, Kansas fan, Missouri fan. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Another scripture says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Work as unto God, not as unto men. I know you feel sometimes the job you're at is just a pit stop. It's not where you meant to be, but perhaps God has you strategically placed, even for the short time you may be there. I think you are strategically placed just where God wants you. And you can worship through the toil of your hands. Though you may not like the job or the people you work for, it's all worship to God. Parenting is worship. Being single is worship. Being married is worship. Being celibate is worship. 
All of our actions, all of our reactions, our worship, because it's the willful act of adoration, the bowing of our hearts, maybe not our knees, but our hearts to God in submission to the Creator. This is my worship. And I think there are two things we get from Colossians chapter 3 real quick. One is focus. Every heavyweight, every person who goes into training has to have focus. What is the singular thought of your life? The singular intent of your heart? Is it pure? Is it one direction? Because I tell you, our culture is okay with all sorts of directions. And all at once. That chaos, that frustration, that unsettledness you feel every night that you put your head to bed. It's from that. Focus on Christ. Don't put Jesus at the top of the list or as part of your life. He doesn't want to be on the list. He doesn't want to be at the top of the list. He wants to be at the center. No list. He wants to be at the center of who you are, where everything else emanates out from that point. Every list finds its place in Jesus because of your focus. That video talked about mission, being on the mission, the purpose that God has you created for. And the last thing is training. I see in this scripture, first the focus when it talks about set your heart and mind on earthly things. But then as you move through that scripture, it talks about training. Athletes have what they call muscle memory. We actually all have it. In fact, you probably have triggers that are muscle memory or emotional memories that trigger you. Certain words cause you to react in certain ways. There's some, some interesting thoughts. I wish we had time to unfold about muscle memory, but does your muscle memory, do you have like muscle memory for worship in all that you do to act and react as worship to God? Because I tell you, a heavyweight workout is not just about lifting dumbbells. I mean, when you see guys working out or gals working out with the intention to win or to conquer, they'll do all sorts, they'll, they'll run one day and they'll lift weights another day and then they'll do Pilates or something, I don't know. PX90, whatever it's called. But it doesn't matter because in the end, it's all with one goal in mind. And so whether they're eating, sleeping, the people they hang out with, everything is focused in one direction. Their sleeping is intentional. Their eating is intentional. So the question is, is Christ in your life or is he your life? Not just part of your life, but your life. Paul writes in Philippians, I want to be found in Christ. This thought that people confuse me with Jesus. They see Jesus in me. They mistake me for Jesus. And I tell you, it's, in, it's not in the happy moments of your life that people see this. It's often in the dark moments. And I've often shared about Darcy and I's loss of our son a few years back, but one of our friends, one of our leaders and our leadership team, Ginger Riley, lost her brother this past week. She leads our preschool area in, in kids' ministry. And I'll tell you, the things that I heard and observed and the interactions that I had with Ginger over the last few months as her brother lay... I, I can only use the word vegetable. One of those, I wish I knew a better word, but she 
struggled with him for so many months after a stroke. We saw improvement, and, and there was just this struggle of, what is God going to do? Is he going to bring healing? And there's just so many conversations that her and I had. And, but as I watched her and observed her life as she cared for her brother, one of her friends wrote this for her about the things that we observed and that she observed in Ginger's life. It's called, As If Jesus Himself Were There. Or actually, it's called, I saw, I saw Jesus in You. I saw Jesus in you the other day. It wasn't on a stage or in a crowd. It wasn't to be honored or seen by men. It was in a small room where a brother lay. I saw Jesus in you the other day as you rubbed his hands and his feet, as you brushed his teeth and hair. Each touch and each stroke was filled with love, as if Jesus himself was there. I saw Jesus in you the other day. As you shaved his face and nose hairs, and he cut his toes and his fingernails. Each touch and each clip was filled with love, as if Jesus himself was there. I saw Jesus in you the other day as, I, as you washed his hair and face. You sang him songs to make him smile. Each touch and each song was filled with love, as if Jesus himself was there. I saw Jesus in you the other day as you stretched his legs and arms, as you took him out for some sunshine. Each touch and each stretch was filled with love as if Jesus himself was there. I saw Jesus in you the other day as you wrote letters and got on the phone to help, him, to help find the best place for him to be, as if Jesus himself was there. I saw Jesus in you the other day as you drove for miles each week, giving up your time to be with the brother. Each mile and each moment was filled with love, as if Jesus himself was there. I saw Jesus in you the other day as you lay down beside the brother, as he was leaving this world to go to the next, he felt your warmth and your heart. It gave him comfort knowing that Jesus was there. There was no thunder, no mighty wind, no shouting or cheering or amazement, just the stillness and quiet acts of love as if Jesus himself was there. Every act can be and could be worshipped to God even in the darkest moments. Ginger was in first service and the profound impact she had on those around her who observed her saw nothing but an act of worship as she cared for her brother. Even the moments that she was totally confused about what God was doing and not even confident in what would happen. She worshiped. When Christ becomes your life, you just, you can't separate it out. You, you can't help. Even in the darkness, even in the confusion, you worship. 